slightly nauseous. Got a headache. You're slightly nauseous? Yeah, I feel well. No, I'm fine. You sure? Yeah, I'm fine. Is it recording? Yeah. Okay. Those words were slightly nauseous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's almost like the first date. <laughs> yeah, I'm nervous. Every I'm time nervous. we do Steven's like the first time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm just going to crank the input out a bit. You can hear that lovely sound of clicking. There we go. Okay. That sounds better. Yeah, that's, that's well, that's a lot better. Why don't you do? Why don't you do that from the beginning? <laughs> I don't know because we're a little bit further away. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, that sounds a lot louder. Normally, normally we just kind of like tie our heads together with one headphone. Yeah, it would be good if we were loud the whole time, then we can just have it easy. Yeah. So this is this is a, a podcast. Welcome to Frame by Frame. I'm Stephen. <laughs> you didn't. Oh, you did. Okay, I, I'm Andy. <laughs> I don't do that. That's not what my wife told me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You talking to me? Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? Like, who the hell else are you talking to? Talking to me? I'm funny how. I'm funny like I'm Peter Vinkman. We all go a little mad sometimes. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Today we're going to talk about comedy a bit more, aren't we? Yeah, again. Again, we're bringing it up. Yeah. Um, We're stepping away from the British Isles, though. We're going to do a hop, skip, and a jump over to the, uh, the United States of America. Well, you know what they say about America and Britain? That they're separated by an ocean. And it's true. It's true. And And also, they say we're separated by common language. And that's true. Yeah. And we're also separated by icebergs and rocks and and Atlantis. Well, like they... Oh. Indiana Jones. Should have made that film. Why not? Well, you know, like we say aluminium and they say aluminium. Yes. We say centrifugal and they say centrifugulary. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> well, they say oregano, and we say oregano. Yeah. Um, we say herb, and they say... Herb. Yeah. yeah. But we say herb, because there's a fucking H in it. Yes, but then we, we also say hello. And uh, and I always go for the full hello. Hello. Yeah, hello. Hello. <laughs> hello, daddy. Yeah, well, we, we, we drop a lot of shit, you know, in our language as well. I mean, but um, elevator, lift... Yeah. Pacifier. Dodie. 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 That's the North Lincoln. North Lancashire. 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 <laughs> North Lancashire word of way of saying dummy. Yeah. Pacifier just seems to me like a really horrible word. Pacifier. Sounds, your pacifier. Yeah. Suck on your pacifier. Well, Vin Diesel made that movie, The Pacifier, and it sounds exactly how it how it was. You well, know, conceived. Like the pacifier. Yeah. So soother, oh, I like soother. Soother sounds good. Soother sounds yeah. soft and gentle. And, and you know, when when, you, when the baby's crying, he, he doesn't want to hear. Get the pacifier! Oh no! 
know, who wants to hear something? Get the soother. Oh, I like that. It the sounds sh- good. The shut the fuck up plug. The shut the fuck up plug. <laughs> okay, so... Yeah, there's a lot of differences, but uh, is the comedy the same? How different is the comedy? I mean, what, what's... Because we hear a lot from Mark Maron saying that when he comes over to uh, Britain, he finds it quite a culture shock. Um, he finds it quite difficult to in certain relate places. to. In certain places, yeah. Yeah, like, I like, don't Ed- think he, he didn't like the fringe, Edinburgh fringe, that he didn't yeah, go down too yeah. well. Uh... So, but, but for the rest of it, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of our comedians seem to be observational um, about you know, what's familiar about life and kind of try and they, they try and bond with the audience. Whereas in America, there's they want to kind of subvert that and, and make the audience think, stand up on edge. I mean, we still have Stuart Lee here and, and those others, but in but America, I suppose, yeah, it's, like, it's still different. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, it's just what Stuart Lee does adapt to a, a certain. There seems to be more truth sayers over there than there are over here. Yeah. To me, the the, the ratio is is very different yeah because you get like George Carlin for instance yeah on live network TV telling an audience how they're, they're not free <laughs> you know you're, you're essentially <laughs> slaves yeah, yeah it's great. quite yeah it's cutting edge stuff it really is strong it is amazing and, and, and of course he voiced Thomas the Tank Engine on the cartoon over there no, he didn't. Yes, he did. Wow. George Carlin uh, did the Ringo Starr version. He did the, yeah. So That's amazing. How did I never know that? Did you not know that? Thomas is a tank engine who lives at a big station on the island of Sodor. He's a cheeky little engine with six small wheels, a short, stumpy funnel, a short, stumpy boiler, and a short, stumpy dome. I did not know that. Yeah, basically back in the 80s when we had Thomas the Tank Engine with Ringo Starr, it was exported, and of course, nobody really understands Ringo Starr. Was that a good impression? (laughs) Was that not bad? That was okay. okay. Got away with that. So they had George Carlin telling them how it is. That's not so good. With the trains. (laughs) Trains go this way, trains go that way. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. George Carlin... Thomas telling Thomas telling Diesel Ten how he's not free and he's working, <laughs> he's working for like massive business interests. Wasn't there a story about one of them bricking himself up inside a tunnel because he doesn't want to leave the tunnel, and so they just brick him up? I mean, that's sinister stuff, man. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to leave this tunnel, so they just brick him up. It's like that. That's so. Um, what's that? That Fred, Fred West. West. It's so Fred West. Come on. This is not. I mean, Thomas the Tank Engine should should be a little bit lighter. Yeah, <laughs> it's wrote by Reverend Audrey or something like that. Reverend, he was a Reverend, wasn't he? Wrote was Thomas. he Reverend, and his first name was Audrey. No, it was some like two letters. Oh. Or maybe I, I can't remember. I shouldn't know because he's a Reverend. Okay, he's a Reverend. So, so that's why he's fucked up. That's why he's yeah got got things hiding behind walls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Borderlands. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, George Collin is is, uh, is is as a point of reference. He is he's known for the, being one of those people who is he, he kind of transcends because he's such a likable grunt. Yeah, because a lot of it, it's it's not it's not really comedy. No, it's someone being very angry about the state of the world. Yes, and shouting about it, and somehow that is hilarious. <laughs> but where else can that work and be most effective? But, but in the USA, because people really get on the horse, uh, get on the horse. They get on the what do they get on? A high horse. 
they, they, they enjoy watching people getting on their high horse and they, yeah. they jump on board the wagon. Mm. That's what I'm going for. Yeah, very good. Yeah, so, but, you know, it's... it's yeah, I, I, think, I think America needs stand-up comedy. Um, I would have loved to have seen what necessary. George Carlin and Hicks especially would have said about 9-11. Did they miss that? I Both th- of them? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they missed that. Well, actually, no, he was alive, wasn't he? It was, it was alive. 2001, it's wasn't it? It's 9-11 in 2001. Yeah. It went in 2001. So he had stuff to say. I wonder what you said about it. He, he died on my birthday. That's, that's really sad. So what did you make it all about you? It's all about me, man. <laughs> yeah, I said stuff about 9-11. Do you want to listen to it, people? Okay. Would you care to comment on that? I always question the received reality. The consensus reality is often intentionally misleading. Would you support a new investigation uh, on 9-11? You know, that's like, you know, that, they, don't, they don't investigate themselves in this country. Most people, they would be a white one. It would be like the Kennedy thing. It would be like everything. Okay. The people who are in charge do what they want. And they will always do what they want. The power does what it wants to. And uh, I wouldn't trust an investigation. It's just fun. It's good speculation. Because you can't, you know, oh, you're getting this on here. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> I hope you don't mind. Well, anyway, now you know. Take care of yourself. Thank you so much. Appreciate okay. it. Thank you, George. There we go. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Do you know what? That's actually the nicest comment on 9-11 I've ever heard. Because you were, you, what were you expecting? Um. Tears, blood. No, actually, I think I expected that. Just, uh, yeah. I think um, George Carlin was under no... Um, <coughs> he knew, he knows the way the government works, he knows the way... Consensus reality, I love that. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Basically, if there was another inquest into 9-11, you're not going to find out the truth. No, no, no. There are, there are, there's no way. I mean, he just basically made us realise, yeah, you're right. Mm. Why are we so adamant that we need to have all these conspiracies anyway and then... Who's going to find the truth? Who's going to do it? I know who found the truth. Who did? Dr. Judy something. Is he a comedian? No. Then I don't want to know about him. All right. <laughs> no, 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 carry on. <laughs> <laughs> she gave a badass. She gives a two-hour lecture. Yeah. Empirical evidence mm-hmm. of how the buildings didn't fall. They just disappeared. They just sort of turned to dust. Wow. Right? She's a scientist. She's got the evidence. She said, because when she was watching it and everyone was like, oh my God, the, uh, the buildings are coming down. I can't... It's a tragedy. Obviously, it's a tragedy. She was looking and saying, well, that's impossible. Because it would literally be millions of tons of rubble hitting a dike in New York, which would have ruptured the dike and flooded all of downtown Manhattan. It didn't. And if you watch it, their buildings just turn to dust. They don't fall. They turn to dust. And the whole of New York was covered in dust, which came from these buildings. She speculated that a high-powered weapon that was set off that we that we don't understand right, it's not conventional just turned everything to powder just turned everything to powder and it was bomb that was on there already that did it and the planes had nothing to do with it the planes were subterfuge and then she said that, like she doesn't know why she doesn't know who did it she's not speculating that it was, a, it was a, a like this whole red tape thing or the government did it but she's saying there's no way that those buildings come down they just turn to I dust I didn't think about the, the weight the amount of of, of building that there is and mm. that is a tremendous weight to have those coming down as a blunt force onto the ground yeah because there was like cars that were right next to the buildings that yeah, are still there still there but if the, if the actual masonry of the buildings had come down it would have destroyed everything 
Yeah, Jesus Christ. Okay, that's an interesting one. I mean, that that's probably the probably the one of those bizarre. I mean, the idea that they vanished, the explanation. Yeah, and she's a scientist. She has empirical evidence. You can't. She's not been distributed. It's it, that's how it was. Well, it's it's a. Um, yeah, they, 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 you know, more would have to be investigated, but then... Well, I think again, this is her life. Point? That's her life, is talking no, no, about no. it and saying, and no one's proven it wrong. But anyway, George Carlin. <laughs> Shall we, we use a little circle on our advert for 9-11 conspiracy? We've solved it. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, solved. Solved. <laughs> Stamp. Go back, to, <laughs> go back to bed, America. <laughs> go back to bed, America. <laughs> you can sleep fine. I mean, I mean just... just yeah, it's a shit deal, but now that and, and George Carlin's approach there was yeah. just, you know, I I kind of wish I had that wisdom sometimes. You know, when I listen mm. to George Carlin, the things that he he does say, it's not comedy, but it it's rooted in comedy because the things that are are true about life that you don't realize and you just get it, they're, they're, they 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 create the same feeling inside of you. Yeah. It's not humor. It's ah, it's almost like a like a re- release of realization, and that's the yeah. same thing as. Do humor. you think because like with America, it's still a heavily religious country, and to have someone stood there prophetizing to you is somehow easier for them to take on board. Always, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I don't think people can do it on their own, and I don't think they're comfortable being the being the. Uh, being the beacons themselves, mm. that they need to have one person for all. It's, I mean, it's, I mean, that's what religion is about, isn't it? It's mm. having that one person in front of you telling you how it is. Yeah, that's what they're comfortable with. Yeah. So, is that the difference between British and American comedy? Is that like an American we, audience need that? Need someone telling them how it is. That was, so I'm just, just trying to define the difference there. I mean, there's something deep mm. about the way that Stuart Lee does it and the way that we react to it. In a way, it may, maybe the audiences that go to see him aren't necessarily going to be all, all you know. When, 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 when America goes to watch George Carlin, they're all engaged as one. Mm. There's a unity. Um, they would be afraid not to get it. Yeah, they, yeah, but here we're kind of like we're we're kind of like more stubborn, and we we kind of like would just go away and say, "Well, I didn't get it." Yeah. We're, we're we're more happy to not get stuff and show it than I think they would be there. Of course, you're going to get your drunk hecklers and your honeymoon and your honeymooners, not your honeymooners, yeah, your Hindu, yeah, your Hindu parties right. who will just be simply be on there in their own thing with their own beacon. But that beacon on there is the most important thing, according to the masses. Yeah, yeah. I suppose so. And yeah, I've never had a thing with a British comedian where all of a sudden my life changed by something they've said. Not totally. Not totally. No. I had a similar experience with Tim Minchin, but I think everybody knows the first time they heard Bill Hicks's It's Just a Ride speech. Because I was a my mate, Matt, again, keep coming back to him. He had a, a, a little place in Stratford. Do you remember Music Zone? He worked in Music Zone. Yes. And um, he got Bill Hicks' Revelations, which was a documentary about Bill Hicks. And then his Revelations Hour long... Got you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. his stand-up that was in London. And the whole thing I thought was hilarious. We were talking about Goat Boy and all that. And at that point, that was like really extreme comedy for me, Goat Boy. Yeah. You know, yeah. strap me to your headboard and let me wear you like a feedback. bag. <laughs> 
fucking hell. But then, yeah, at the end, he has the... It's just a ride speech. And that was it. I was like, wow. that man knows it. He, he, he's he been to the dark side. He's come back. He gets it. He gets life. Yeah. I mean, when That's people, my man. When people say that they are able to leave their body and look down at the earth and see what things are for real. Yeah. I mean, everybody everybody has their own opinions and their own ideas, but they're all coming from that. I'm, I'm going to keep on using Carlin's words. I mean, consensus reality. I'm, I can't get that That's phrase really out of my good. head yeah. because it just it just it's giving me a tool now to be able to kind of reference things yeah. from that boost you did. Has that stopped? Um, that boost. Yeah, let's get it back to sixty. We're back on boost. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it it's completely changed. It's kind of added. Uh, a chance for me to describe and understand things more and I think that that's brilliant you know if you don't have the words if you don't have the expressions then you can't put your finger on things and all of a sudden it's kind of like oh my god yeah exactly yeah exactly right and that's exactly with Bill Hicks he's like he put the he gave you a reason for understanding it gave you an ability to actually see things in a different way yeah and that you take that on board and all of a sudden you start to see things in a different perspective Mm. And Hicks he was a he was a tragic character, wasn't he? He never oh, really was. broke yeah. into the mainstream. He reminded me of John Candy in a way, in, in some ways, in respect to him, he was actually a really good person. Um, you know, he was a very lovable son. Very, you know, he liked his family. He loved. Yeah. He loved uh, yeah, I, I find it hard to use the word love with Bill Hicks because it's like, but he did. He he, he had. He well, had his passion. Yeah, I actually find with Hicks, I think he the literal meaning of love is Hicks. Quite possibly, yeah. That that the the mushy vision that we all have is a part of that consensus reality that we're told to that love is this. But maybe he was loving everybody and everything. Yeah, yeah, I think in, so. In, in a kind of a raw way, but and but yeah, I mean, he's so he was such a tragic figure. Because he had these these things that that like John Candy that kind of held him back and just kept him rooted in this in this uh, this ill health. I think it was the smoking for Bill Hicks. It was eating for John Candy. Yeah, well, yeah, the smoking and uh, he did obviously dabbled with drugs. But very he taught. So. He was the one person who talked very honestly about drugs. And he's had bad times on drugs. He's had really good times on drugs. Yes. And he taught the routine he has about being pulled over by the police while he was tripping. You never see positive drug stories on the news, do you? Isn't that weird? Since most of the experiences I've had on drugs were real fucking positive. Uh, who are these morons there finding? That's what I want to know. I used to want to call the news. Come over to our house. Watch Tommy. He's a pig. Film him. He's been doing that for hours. He's killing us. You getting all that? How about a positive LSD story? Wouldn't that be newsworthy just once to base your decision on information rather than scare tactics and superstitions and lies? I think it would be newsworthy. Today, a young man on acid realized that all matter is merely energy condensed to a slow vibration that we are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. There is no such thing as death. Life is only a dream, and we're the imagination of ourselves. Here's Tom with the weather.
every aspect of a subject is being discussed rather than just being um, looked at through a narrow vision. Well, again, with, with a narrow yeah, and just to be able to take a huge subject and suddenly just make it easily accessible. Yes, we talked about you know there was a, the news uh, there was a news report. Uh, one young man on acid thought he could fly and jumped off a building. It's a tragedy, and he's like, "What a dick!" If you thought you could fly, you start from the ground first. Yes, perfect. Because if you thought you could fly, you wouldn't go to a building and jump off. You just think, "I can fly," and you just start flying. Yeah, Birdman. Did. Exactly. You know exactly. what I mean? But yeah, that, that's the thing. That's the thing. It's not. Uh, that's not a tragedy. That's just stupidity. That's just a dickhead just... who took some drugs and jumped off the top of a building. What a dick. Always that same LSD story, you've all seen it. Young man on acid, thought he could fly, jumped out of a building. What a tragedy. What a dick. Fuck him. He's an idiot. If he thought he could fly, why didn't he take off in the ground first? Check it out. You don't see ducks lined up to catch elevators to fly south. They fly from the ground, you moron. Quit ruining for everybody. He's a moron. He's dead. Good. We lost a moron. Fucking celebrate. Wow, I just felt the world get lighter. We lost a moron. Bill Hicks, George Carlin, I mean, it all started in the uh, the 60s and 70s, of course, the freedom of speech movement. Yeah. Um, before then, you had, uh, you had your, I mean, Britain had its music hall, and then it changed into its, its working men's clubs. Mm. In America, it was similar. They went from from being kind of very conservative, let's, let's let the family have a laugh. Kind of, yeah. a, kind of a gig, Bob Hope and all those others who I can name just like that if I wanted to, but I'm not gonna. No, you're better than that. Yeah, I'm better than that. And <laughs> and and it, it, but then all of a sudden, this guy Lenny Bruce came onto the scene, mm. and for some reason he was, uh, he was allowing himself to go on stage and say things that nobody had ever said before. Because he understood, he understood that that there's the difference in reality. When you're on stage, you are, you know, if if people are able to put on plays to say what they like in in Shakespeare, to say what they like in any other kind of a, a form of entertainment, yeah, that stand-up comedy is still a form of art. That it is still a form of entertainment. That it is still a form of storytelling. It's everything encompassing in one. So therefore, what happened was is because he started to use obscenities. Yeah. <clears throat> He wouldn't use those obscenities off the stage. He wouldn't say them to people. He wouldn't, you know. And the policeman who had him arrested one night for obscenities uh, because he he said a few bad words. And mm. uh, this is back in the time where you weren't allowed to say it in public. Literally, the policeman would would turn to him in the car, as 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 was perceived in the film Lenny. Uh, I, I I don't know if it's true, but this is this might have been put in there for dramatic effect. The policeman said to him, "Say if you just said those words to uh, my, my wife and myself, I would have knocked you to the ground." You know, yeah, it's that kind of society. But the thing about uh, Lenny Bruce is that it's not that he didn't care. It's not that he wanted to rebel. It's not that he wanted to to be the the only person who was subverting re the reality and, and forcing people to, to experience something different. He was just simply saying, words are just words like any other words. There's nothing wrong with the use of them. They're just words. They should, they should <laughs> be a fundamental freedom when you actually hit that stage. Exactly. It's like... <laughs> Go back to Stuart Lee, but he talked about it in Nineties Communion about the. He talks to me. 
But uh, the, the, the being second to Jesus Christ. Yes. It's like if you try to put restrictions and freedom of expression, people are going to start testing those restrictions. Yes, and that's and the that's whole where point. Lenny Bruce comes from. Like Lenny Bruce came from that exactly. That it's it's it's, but it's not for the sake of testing either. It's for the for the sake of knowing that this is exactly what he wanted to say, and this is how he wanted to say it. The bust. What I got arrested for in San Francisco. San Francisco, I got arrested for, uh, what do you think, we can hear that, Daddy. Um, I'm not going to repeat the word because I want to finish the gig here tonight. It's, uh, uh, they said it was, it was vernacular for a favorite homosexual practice, a ten-letter word. Uh, it's really chic, that's two four-letter words in a preposition. I can't, uh, I wish I could tell you the word, it um, starts with a C, well, you know what the word is. Now, it's weird how they manifested that word as homosexual, because I don't, that relates to any contemporary chick I know or would know or would love or would marry, you know. And, uh... Now, when I took the bust, I finished the show, and I said that word, you know, the ten-letter word, and he comes over and says, um, uh, Lenny, my name is Sergeant Blum You know the word you said? I said a lot of words. I think. Well, that, that word. Oh, yeah. Well, Lenny, that's against the Lord. I'm going to take it down. Okay, that's cool. It's against the Lord to say it and to do it. Well, I didn't do it, man. I know, but... Uh, I just have to tell you that all the time. Okay. All right. Now, we're getting away again. And the one, he's cool. Because he said, you broke the law, and specifically this thing. Now, the other guy, look, I got a wife and kid. I don't want to hear that crap at all, man. I don't want to get involved emotionally with this. Uh, what do you mean I want to hear that crap? Do I ever do that to you? Bam. Then it got very sticky. No. You ever say the word? No. Never said honest to God. Never said the word? Never. How long are you married? 18 years. You ever chip you on your wife? Never. Never one time in 18 years you chip it on your old lady? Never one time. Then I love you. Because you're a spiritual guy, but if you're lying, you'll spend some dead time in purgatory. <laughs> now, we really got really into it, into it. Okay, now, get in the court, the same as the judge, Aaron Alvermitz, a red-headed junkyard Jew, a real fabissiner, with thick fingers and a homemade glass eye. Tough folk, right? He comes in, blah, blah, blah. Swear the heat in, what he say? Your Honor, he said blah, blah, blah. The judge, he said blah, blah, blah. <laughs> then the guy really yented it up. That's right. I didn't believe it. There was a guy up on the stage in front of women in a mixed audience saying, blah, blah, blah. The judge. Oh, this I never heard. Blah, blah, blah. S- said blah, blah, blah. He said blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to lie to you. It's in the minutes. I'm not going to lie to you. All right. The DA. The guy said blah, blah, blah. Look at him. He's smug. He's not going to repent. Then they dug something. They sort of like saying blah, blah, blah. <laughs> because they said it a few extra times. Oh, look, do me a favor, too. Because uh, just this is very self-indulgent. But never applaud, because it really breaks my pace, and I hate it, because I don't know what to do. I can't smile like when I'm in the door. Unless you do something funny, and that's not. So I don't do it anymore. Now, we got so embarrassed, blah, blah, blah. The bailiff is yelling. What do you say? Shut up, you blah, blah, blah. <laughs> They're yelling in other courts. What do you say? Blah, blah, blah. This is exactly what's on his mind, man. These are the things that he wants to say. This is what he thinks that people need to hear. Exactly, and I, I, I have huge amounts of respect for that. I put it in that blog. I gravitate towards people that make me think challenge yeah. me, make me think of things I hadn't thought of before and Carlin and Hicks and Lenny Bruce to yeah. do that yes. you know what I mean And um, the, yeah yeah. some telephone going off yeah, there, that's okay beautiful arpeggios so you just, that's what you were pausing for, you were just taking in the I was taking uh, in the arpeggios, the minor thirds Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> we are, it's like a circus in here. <laughs> do you remember when we did that podcast in the middle of uh, Israel? Yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like the Gaza Strip. <laughs> 
we're not even adding anything here. This is just purely yeah, we're, um, we're, we're, in the we're, room. We're in the moment. This yeah, what happened? It just it just shut down. But yeah. Um, but interesting. You, I didn't know this, but you told me that when Lenny Bruce was arrested, arrested. Yes, one time George Carlin was arrested as well. Exactly. George Carlin was. Uh, I, I don't think. I'm not too sure if they knew each other. I don't think Len, the film Lenny actually had George Carlin in it as you know, or, you know right. anybody portraying George Carlin. Um, and I think that story was probably dealt with later and they just didn't know at the time um, but George Carlin was there something's been bothering me and I, I want to talk to you about it did you read about the uh, thing? the two school teachers remember who were busted for homosexuality right. okay this is an editorial from this morning's newspaper and I'm quoting directly from it I'll just read the last sentence and let us make certain that these sexual deviates <coughs> are never allowed inside a classroom again. That's wrong. Because first of all, they were busted for what they were doing 15 miles away from the school. But what's more important is that what came out at the trial is that the damn good teachers. And you know how long it takes to make a good teacher? And I'll tell you something else. There wasn't one incident reported where a kid came home and said, today in school we had five minutes of geography and ten minutes of cocksucking. And then suddenly this policeman stood up, and I believe he actually said the words, okay, folks, the show is over, which, of course, is a cliche that policemen use just at a killing, you know, in a bar. You, when the crowd is getting, they want to break up the crowd. Okay, the show's over, the show's over. He actually said it in context. They began to check people's IDs, and they, they, they had the people leave the club through the only door, the upstairs only door, uh, one by one show their ID, because basically what they wanted to do was to catch someone underage so they could give the tr club trouble. Um, and they found this girl, apparently, I guess she was 15 or something, I forget now, but... Um, in, in checking everyone, uh, Vince and I just kept drinking our beers and, uh, and, and all the beer we could get because the upstairs bar was right there, the service bar was in there. Uh, by the, you know, I was good and juiced by the time we got to us, and we purposely waited to be almost the last people just to watch all this going on. So when I got to the door and the police was there, ID, you want to see your ID? I said, I don't believe in ID. You know, just a smart-ass Irish guy, a little drunk who didn't like authority anyway, you know, and didn't really care much for regulations my whole life. So I always give him hard, give him some shit, you know. So I said, I don't believe in ID. So he was a little exasperated by this point, this policeman, I guess he was a plainclothes, and he sort of grabbed me by the collar of the suit and, and you know, the baggy pants of my ass and kind of bum-rushed me down the stairs, you know, kind of forcing me down the stairs and on my way out. And I said, and downstairs, there was a place that you'd pass through, and on, on the left, there were two little portals that led into the bar area and the cocktail lounge area. And I knew Brenda was in there. So as they're rushing me past that, I said, I said, Tell Brenda I'm going to jail! And I got outside into a paddy wagon, an old-fashioned, regular paddy wagon. This writer from Swank magazine was in there. And uh, I really don't remember if Lenny was in there because he said, what are you here? Yeah, I think, I guess he must have been because he probably said to me, what are you here for? And I said, I didn't give him my ID. And he said, hey, you don't be a schmuck, you know. Um, so, yeah. Talk about a police state, though. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's... Orwell would have loved that. Yeah, and I think that's exactly how it is. I mean, I, I, I think it was back then yeah. how it was. Because they... You know, they, they work under that um, that need to follow certain rules, and if they're told that you you know that people like this are dangerous, people like this are are not good for society. They believe it. They firmly believed it back then. They had to put a stop to it because these people were saying things that they didn't want people to know. Well, this is part of the reason why Hicks was pulled from Letterman. Yeah, you know, I've heard that. That, yes. that, that that routine and there's nothing in there by today's standards that is offensive we had him on uh, this show October 1st 1993 and he came out and he did his uh, stand up about five or six minutes and uh, a afterwards in, in considering what I had seen and it was uh, an error of judgment on my part just a mistake really I, I made a decision I think born of uh, insecurity more than anything else and I said I said, I don't think we want to have that on the show. I so we, we removed it from the show. Right. And when I say we, I'm in the production staff. But the decision was mine. Yes. And, no, no, yeah. And like I say, looking back on it, uh, I had no real reason. I can't, I don't know why, and I'm sorry that I did. And it was a mistake. Uh -huh. So what we're going tonight, so uh, as you grow older, things uh, come in and out of your mind, and you think, well, uh, you can't really correct mistakes you have made in life all the time. But I thought... Perhaps just symbolically here tonight, we will have Bill's mother on, talk about his life and his career, and then we will show you oh. uh, what was uh, taken out of this show ah. uh, back on October 1st, 1993. So that's what we're going to do. But I think it's interesting to note how people act on religious beliefs. You know what I mean? Like a lot of Christians wear crosses around their necks. Nice sentiment. But you think when Jesus comes back, he's really going to want to look at a cross? <laughs> That may be why he hasn't shown up yet. Going, man, they're still wearing crosses, Dad. I'm not going, no. They totally missed the point. I'm not going. Forget it. I'll go back as a bunny. But the establishment didn't like Hicks because he was saying things that they particularly didn't want someone to talk about. Yes. All this stuff about JFK. There, there, there is a... You know, about saying there wasn't, yeah. you know, there's no way that he could have killed JFK, you know. In fact, he, he has a great part where you go he went to the um when he went to dallas and he went to the um oswald museum and uh what do you call it the summit museum it's not the oswald museum but he said it's really accurate because oswald isn't in it <laughs> he said you can get to the window where apparently he was shot and he says yeah yeah it's, and it's really accurate because accurate accurate because oswald isn't in it and it's a, great, it's a great routine as well and then he said like there's no way he could have shot him unless some carrier pigeons had picked him up and flown him over the grassy knoll and some people did remember hearing some birds going coo coo <laughs> great <laughs> and that was probably it he was flying obviously yeah yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? and, he was, uh, it, that, that's yeah it's a shame that you know that he he went so early because yeah, like you say, we would like to have heard his his spiel well, you know, on. Well, yeah, but you know, he, he just had a TV series commissioned in Britain. But but part of me uh, thought, well, she has every reason not, not to, to come. come here. That's yeah. right. I had a lot of reasons not to come, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought about it, and then I decided to come. Good. I'm glad you're here. And and, and again. I, I know I can't make up for the damage that was caused, but I hope symbolically this means something to you. Well, it does. Right. And, and I will tell you that that was a very hard time. 
15 years ago yes. when that happened. And I just will have to tell you that it was. Well, I'm well aware of that. I know that. Uh, I, I, I don't know personally how difficult it was, but I can certainly, now that I have a son, I can Absolutely. certainly imagine imagine what that... You had to have a child to that's know. That's right. That's right. Okay. What else do you want to I'm ask? kind of feeling as though that there's just one thing that Letterman needs to resolve now, and that's the Leno thing. Yeah. And then I think he can retire, which is pretty much the next month. Letterman is retiring the mm. next month. He's gone. Um, which is, is really sad because, you know, he... he he also came from the stand-up generation of, 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 you know, of course he knew he always wanted to be on television, but he started with, you know, he started with stand-up, yeah. just like Leno did, just like all the others, and they all stem from that need to, to just, but you know, their humour is very different to the the ones that we kind of pick out as being the truth-sayers. They're not truth-sayers, they're joke-tellers, and that's something different. A lot of joke-tellers start out, I mean, Carlin started off very mild. Mm. He started off very mild, and he was very PC, and 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 it it took a while for him to find that uh, that to get that hunger to feed. Yeah, the people. and it's just I think sooner or later these yeah. people who I personally gravitate towards to just see the world for what it is. Yeah, I'm just thinking. Well, I'm going to talk about that. You can't I'm, be, I'm angry yeah. that this is what pe- people are accepting this. Yeah. As the truth, we time and time again in every podcast we do, we soon come round to this police state idea, this thing, this nanny state. Yeah. And these guys saw it and they talked about it. Yes. And I think that's incredibly brave. It is, and and I think that's what this is why we wanted to do this podcast. I mean, we're a part of us is 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 not just inspired, but driven by that that mm. hunger. You know, and it's in us somewhere. Yeah, we yeah. just we're just tapping into it ourselves. I mean, we're we're having a stab at uh, stand up. Well, and eventually, what, yeah. And what I've written so far is all about that. Yeah, it's about that feeling of of getting to that. Well, telling people that, like, what the hell you're living this? Yes, but to be able to do it in a funny way. Yeah, because I mean, it's for, it's for the last few decades of our lives, when we, I think probably when you're about sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, you start to kind of realize that there are holes in this beautiful canvas of life yeah yeah absolutely. and you start to tell people about it and to begin with you're telling all your friends at school and it's kind of like yeah yeah <laughs> and, and it's like yeah you're right it is yeah but then you then you go into the real world you leave school and you go into the real world and you start to tell your work colleagues and they're like oh yeah yeah then you start to tell your family and they're like yeah yeah okay okay yeah. oh that, that old thing again parking on roads people who don't indicate you know, yeah, people who don't open doors, they just go for the open door. It's all, all in these yeah, things. It's all in the it's the right speech. Yeah. People come back to tell you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like Lennon and you know, you said we have these great people that come back and tell you, Look, it's just a ride. It's just a ride. And you can get off it any time you want, but the people who are making the money out of the ride is saying, No, no. I've invested a lot in this ride. This this ride's real. It's yes. Not, it's not real. It's just a ride. You can get off it any time you want. I, oh, that that That's fucking speech man should be taught in schools. Yeah, they wouldn't because the establishment wouldn't want that. But that that to me is essential education. Yeah, that changed my life. The establishment wants you to do basically any message that you have that is mass cultural message is given to you by the corporate mass. It, it, it Carl has said it himself. Say, we're not a society anymore. We're consumers. We're not yeah, people. We're we consumers. consumers. Yeah. 
we're, we're literally like the whole world is this big black, black hole yeah. absorbing our energy he has this great I think he was being interviewed and he's like saying there's no choice in this country anymore the only choices there are is like paper or plastic aisle or window seat there's no real choice in this in this country yes. anymore yeah yeah exactly what exactly. a man I miss that guy yeah You just want these people around, and it's sad when they go. It's sad when Robin Williams goes. I mean, yeah. he wasn't so much a, a truth sayer as just a person who just said, "Look, just don't worry about it. Fuck it. Just enjoy it. Yeah. You know, enjoy everything for what they are, good or bad or indifferent. It's just there. It's the they, like it's the ride. But you know, a little sip of Perrier here. I had to stop drinking alcohol because I used to wake up nude and hood in my car with my keys in my ass. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Robert. Again, because we could talk about we we'll talk about true sayers, but Robin Williams, as you just said, wasn't. But equally, is yeah, he was he was funnier. Here's a little warning sign if you have a cocaine problem. First of all, if you come home to your house, you have no furniture, and your cat's going, "I'm out of here, prick." Warning. <laughs> Number two, if you have this dream where you're doing cocaine in your sleep and you can't fall asleep, and you're doing cocaine in your sleep and you can't fall asleep, and you wake up and you're doing cocaine, bingo. <laughs> Number three. If on your tax form it says $50,000 for snacks, mayday. <laughs> you got yourself a cocaine problem, smartass. And he can turn complete yeah. dark tragedy into hilarious things. He's talking yeah. about his drug addiction and his alcoholism. Yes. And it, it's, it's sort of a way he's easy. Part of it, now in retrospect, he took his own life. He's saying, I'm hurting. I'm hurting here, I'm please. Really, yeah. I need help. Yeah. But he's yeah. saying it in such a funny way. Everyone's going, oh, he's so funny. He can laugh at his alcoholism. But he wasn't. He's saying to people, 
I'm yeah. fucking dying here, man. And that's the thing, you know, when he, when he had his later interviews, like, I'm kind of just starting to notice the, the cracks yeah. in him. Because every time he kind of touches upon something that is serious, he immediately follows up with something funny. But it's, it's cheaper than therapy a lot of times. <laughs> For me, it's a chance to talk about things that were kind of my life. I'm not as personal as a lot of people do, but the last, the, the last HBO special kind of got into interesting aspects mm-hmm. about the relapse and, you know, the idea of like, going to... Th- I went to rehab in wine country just to keep my options open. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight, everybody, thank you very much. <laughs> But it's the idea of... Keep your options open. But uh, talking about just having kids initially... For me, the first time I actually started to talk about my life was the, the HBO special that I filmed at the Met where I talked about having kids and having to kind of put it together and really having responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And having Zachary... And <laughs> I remember the first time, you know, doing my act and then all of a sudden the first time Zachary's in the car and all of a sudden somebody cut me off in traffic and I went... <laughs> <laughs> and from the back seat, this little voice went... <laughs> <laughs> And I went, oh, you're daddy's boy. <laughs> but, but now, all my kids have grown up, and they've done amazing. When Zachary graduated from college, he got a degree in, uh, in, in linguistics from NYU. And I said, what are you going to do, open a syntax repair shop? <laughs> but I was so proud of him, because I never graduated from college. And, I was just, and then he went on to get a degree from Columbia, and an MBA in business. I'm like, okay, that's it. That's enough. <laughs> But now he's working. He's actually making money on his own. Daddy, daddy loves you. Daddy loves you. We're going to go. Where are we going? Where are we going today? Let's take daddy over by the sidewalk. Uh, but the, the thing is, the reason why he does that is because he can hear people laughing. Before, you know, before, when he starts to talk about, well, you know, depression, depression is a very serious thing. You can hear somebody just laughing because they're, they're, waiting, for the because they're waiting. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, with Robin Williams, nobody actually looked at him as a person who could ever possibly need help. He is, he's helping, he's literally, you can't help somebody who is, who knows everything is funny. Mm. But he don't, they don't realise that it's not about that. He's simply just doing that because that's his show, that's his entertainment, that is him being the entertainer. Yeah. That is him working. That's him at work. It was like he was never allowed yeah. to not be Robin Williams. He wasn't allowed to be in pain. Just look at your own life and just realise what, what things are precious to you. That's what I did when I was doing it. You know, I would come home and just realise how extraordinary... That there is, you have heaven in front of you. I mean, and you know, sometimes people say, and also hell, you bastard. But also that idea that you have, look around and see the precious things, you know, the connection with family, friends, you know, the the, the things in your, and the people, especially in your life. No, no, no. It, it had to be. There yeah. had to be a punchline to every single possibility of sadness to his to his life, and I think apart that's... from. Mark Marin when he interviewed him. Yeah, that. And I can't listen to that anymore without crying. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm I have to leave that alone for a while because yeah. I I listened to it pretty sh- soon after it was released. Well, Mark Marin, yeah, he put it back out when he when Robin took his life, and um, it's a tough listen because there's no jokes in there. No, Robin's and it is... never. He's just. He's just honest about. His... How difficult life is for him, and he was. It was. He was able to finally actually say things mm. without there being an audience fucking it, fucking it up you know yeah. just forcing him out of that reality zone and, and into the entertainer again yeah 
It's like it's like it's like living, you know, being friends with a waitress and saying, "Get me a cup of coffee," you know. As soon as she starts to talk about reality, oh, don't 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 tell me about it. Just go make me a cup of coffee. Go fetch me something. Mm. You know, just because he's a comedian doesn't mean he's always on. Yeah, and that's I mean, the uh, genius uh, I think of Mark Maron, where he can always get that out of people. Yeah, and I think that we'll talk about Maron great that later. I think, but I a, mean, lot, a lot of a lot of what we we talked about anyway, and kind of like you know, a, a, we I think we owe Mark Maron so much. In the way of our knowledge and our learning about people, yeah, about life, and about I, I've listened, reality. yeah, I've listened to podcasts and I've had to tweet him to say that, uh, yeah, you get it, and that's exactly. I stopped tweeting him because I'm like, there's, there's just too much. I too, you know, like, it's me again. <laughs> I can't believe you. Oh, it's like there's, least, there's yeah. nothing else to say anymore. It's like you, you're doing it and. Well, there was what I forget the actress who was talking with. Yeah, yeah. Well, she was talking about her, how she deals with depression and how she sort of is. And I tweeted her, you know, yeah. I mentioned both of them. I just said, "That's that's it." That's yeah, just, I get it. That yeah. literally helps me because other people like that. And she actually tweeted me back saying, "That's so sweet that." Yeah. You know, you can do that, nice and he retweeted it, and yeah. I'm like, "Oh, Mark Maron knows I live. Yeah, I'm alive somewhere." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> But his podcast per persona is very is far away from his stand up. It's very, very much, different. Yeah, yeah. When I first started to listen to his stand up, I was surprised and in a good way of how different he is on stage as Wait. he is. Honestly, though, I, I, like I didn't prepare that well because that's just the way I do it. I don't like I don't believe in preparing. I don't. I personally don't really like preparers. Um, <laughs> They're annoying people generally. Like, you know, what, what's like, oh, hey, I, I really prepared for this. Well, you're a coward. You know, why don't... Where's your sense of adventure? How important is it that you... Like, you know, why set yourself up for that? You, you know what I mean? Everyone's this careerist culture, you know, this sort of, like, trajectory thing. You know, it's going to kill you. You're going to end up lonely at the end and not doing what you want to do. Don't prepare, man. Just load up. In my mind, if I don't prepare and I pull this off, I'm a fucking genius. I'm a genius. Right? And if I don't pull it off, I didn't prepare. If I would have set my mind to it, I would have nailed that shit. But no, I, I didn't prepare because I like to roll the dice, man. Feel alive. What's going to happen? I don't know. I might fail. All right, fuck them. That would be you. I can blame myself for that. He's a guy who knows he's got two jobs and they're both very different. Yeah. Some people can't handle that. Some people would just blend the two and it becomes blurred. Yeah. But his stand-up is brilliant. He's such a good stand-up. I met a woman, like, not too long ago. We had sex once, and within a week, she, like, she texted me 50 fucking times. <laughs> One day, 50 texts. And, and I was showing people. I'm like, look, this is fucking crazy. Look how fucking crazy she is. I'm not getting involved with this. This is fucking ridiculous. Then the 51st text was a picture of her pussy. And I said, oh, maybe, you know. <laughs> but, but the weirdest thing, like, that really happened, right? And, like, for some reason, like, the, like two texts after that, the guy who was building this bookshelf for me texted me a picture of the bookshelf he built. And I was actually more excited about that. <laughs> yeah. 
like, I, I don't know if that's age or what, but there was part of me that thinks, like, you know, I don't have to be afraid to put things in there, you know. <laughs> and and I, I know that'll last. <laughs> I don't think he functions well in a place of, of, of mass acceptance. No, exactly. He couldn't. He couldn't be in Madison Square Garden because. Oh, he could as long as there were other people there with him. I think he'd. Oh be yeah, all right. if it was part of a, a comedy. Yeah, yeah loads of comedians, but not just a lot yeah. of people come to see him. I don't think he'd ever do that. But he has the Bill Con- Billy Connolly thing when he's doing stand up. He's just talking to you. Yeah, yeah. He's not talking to anyone else. Yeah. Just you, and that is a rare gift. It is. It's yeah. You're right. I didn't see that. I, didn't, I never actually saw that he actually is just talking to you. And yeah. that, that's because I, I get that with the radio show, but I've never kind of thought about his stand-up being in the same way. And he's an honest guy. He talks about his life. Yeah. You know, there's one stand-up where he, he, he just mentions his wife. He says, oh, we'll get on to my wife in a minute. It's not working out. And then he just goes on about something else. <laughs> and then this long story about how his wife, him and his wife just not working out. But they're yeah. still together at that point. And it's so honest and but it's not hilarious. Yeah, it it is, but it's not. It's not as if you know. It, you never get that idea that he's he's outing himself or outing others. He's literally just talking to you as a friend, and yeah. and reaching out and saying, and you if, know, yeah, it, it, he, it does. That he so can't well. do it any other way. This yeah. is how we, and it, it's leaked into his show. You know, we spoke about in Marini's TV series. Yeah. Where he he lost a relationship because he was talking about Stuff you know like how it's yeah. difficult to keep up sexually with his girlfriend because yeah. she's a lot younger than him and you know and that kind of stuff and oh his routine have you did his routine about having sex on Viagra? I sit down this little old Jewish guy he looks at me he goes have you tried Viagra? <laughs> and like when you're a dude you know there's part of you that thinks like I don't need that I'm fine my angry Jew cock is in working order and. Seeking revenge on a weekly basis. <laughs> so I literally, I look at him, I go, I don't need Viagra. And this little Jewish man, with his face lights up, he goes, it's not about need. <laughs> this is a great drug. No side effects, it's terrific. So now I got to picture him. You know, like just this, you know, this like weird little you know, sack of sand with a protruding nub. <laughs> You know, like, and he goes, let me give you a few. So I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm a drug guy at heart. And I'm like, all right, didn't take one. Yeah, I'll take some of these. So I had like three of these fucking blue pills, you know, and I, you know, in a little sample pack, three or four of them. And I, I'd never taken them before. I knew what they were supposed to do, but I didn't, you know, ever take them. I did a little research on them, you know. Do you have much money those drugs make? I mean, they make millions of dollars. So in my mind, I was like, well, that means that, you know, everyone's doing them. You know, it's, it's not just those people you see, you know, dancing in their living room on the commercial or <laughs> holding hands in bathtubs or, you know, <laughs> getting onto motorcycles with too much gear at their age. You know, <laughs> Everyone must be doing this. Everyone has at least tried it, you know. So I'm just trying to justify it in my mind, you know. And then I started thinking, like, why don't they market it to people like me? I mean, I'm in trouble. I'm heartbroken. I fucking, I'm a mess. And I, I pictured the ad campaign, you know, Viagra for when you want to fuck anything. Because, you know, you could be crying, just sort of like, I don't know. I miss my wife. This feels weird. Okay, I'm ready. Sit on it. Viagra. When you want to fuck anything. 
I tried them. I tried them a few times. They're, they're dangerous, man. Have you ever done it? Have you you got to do it at least once. You don't realize, you know, whatever you're working with without them, it's fine. But on them, you're like, oh, my God. It's almost like when you're fucking on Viagra, there, there's like a moment like where you look down at your cock and you think, it doesn't even need me. <laughs> Like, like I, I wish I could just leave my body and sit over there and jerk off to me doing this. That's how good I'm doing. Love it. Well, that's probably the truth as well. That's it. It's so he's the being truth. completely truthful yeah. about... Because yeah. his doctor recommended Viagra to him. He said, just try it. It's great. I do it all the time. He's like... It's intermission time, folks, so hurry, hurry, hurry. Step right over to our refreshment center for the most extravagant array of refreshment goodies ever assembled under one roof. Enjoy breathtaking, mouth-watering goodies, everything from a snack to a delicious full meal. At our refreshment center, you'll find a large variety of goodies to satisfy your hunger, your thirst, or your sweet tooth. So hurry, hurry, hurry. Visit our refreshment center now. And just going back to the whole, you know, Robin Williams being perceived as somebody who always has to be switched on. Lisa Lampanelli has the same problem. Because she, when she's on stage, she she plays vulgar humour very well. Right. She put, you know, she's happy to talk about fat vaginas and, and twisted funny vaginas and, and weird looking penises and, and black men doing her and, and all that. Until, you know, that is her thing. And that's her comedy. That's her work. Mm. The problem is she cannot handle when fans stop her in the street and start talking smack to her as if they're reaching into her sh- her work and, and just doing it back to her. Was she on Myron's podcast and there was three other women on it? I'm not too like sure a group if, of... if she was on it or... Yeah, it's probably Myron. Because she kind of said, well, it, it, it's just not me and I don't know what to do in that situation when people start to come at me and, and say the things that I say to them. And, the, and you know, I can dish it, but I can't I can't take it. You yeah. know, it's it, it hurts. Because it's like, you know, yes, you don't know me, I don't know you. Why are you saying that to me on the street outside of the reality of the stage? You see, the stage is the stage. That's where the magic happens. You don't go up to, you don't go up to Kenneth Branagh and say, you bastard having sex with your mother in Hamlet. I'm going to bring this back to Hicks in the routine (laughs) where he says, it's like going up to Jackie O'Nassar with a gun rifle pendant. You know, oh yeah, the cross. The when he's talking cross, about yeah. why would Jesus come ever come back? If you, why did you wear a cross around your neck? Yeah. Jesus would be like, that's the last thing you'd want to see. Yeah. It's like going up to Jennifer Kennedy's wife with a rifle pendant saying, "Just keeping the spirit alive, Jackie." You wouldn't do it exactly. You know exactly. I mean? People don't see that, and because they don't see it, they just go along with it because everybody has a cross. Yeah, it's culturally accepted yeah. by the masses, and, and as soon as that happens, everybody goes, "Okay, it's fine." Let's yeah. Do it. You wouldn't go up to an actor who's portrayed um, a serial killer and just assume that they're a serial killer. Yeah, and pin them against the wall and say, I know what you did. Yeah, exactly. But Michael it's... Rucker, portrait of a serial killer. I saw that movie. I saw. I know what you did. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill your fucking dog. I get a feeling though Rucker would probably then murder him. <laughs> I think Rucker would probably, yeah, Rucker. I love Rucker. So that actress, yeah. that comedian, yeah. Yeah, Lisa Lampanelli, I mean, she she's such a sweet person and and she doesn't want that she doesn't want people to come up and and 
and shout cunt at her face. Yeah. And and but it's only because the the nature of the work that she does echoes the nature of how people want to perceive her mm. in reality and that's not fair I, don't, I think it's I'd say it's not fair but, but it's... It's, it's, a, it's people's grasp on reality that, that they're not able to get yeah it's I, but again relatively speaking if you're going to do that kind yeah. of material you're going to attract those kind of people you are I mean yeah I mean I can't imagine people going up to Roy Tribby Brown and not saying <laughs> you fat bastard you know yeah that. I mean he probably, he probably gets it all you know he gets it every time, no matter where he goes. Who knows? He might sit at home, read, you know, his favourite book might be Macbeth, and he's got his glasses on, a glass of brandy, his house coat on, reading Probably is, but he probably, probably laughs at Macbeth. He finds it hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, now he's got a... Now she's urinating. Great. <laughs> yeah. Is this a cock I see before me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. I actually, I actually did see... Um, uh, it's amazing. We ought to talk about the, the how com- uh, how comedians... Oh, people who are perceived as being funny can also be so serious that they do have that up- opposing. I mean, Robin Williams does have that ability to um, to to just be serious, and he mm-hmm. did that in Goodwill Hunting. I think. Well, the first film he was, was allowed to do it within films. In, in films, he was okay, yeah. and people let him do that because there was nobody there to laugh. And piss and, and to destroy like that. Like one hour photo. Yeah. He was terrifying in that film. Horrible. Yeah. And he can play. And what was the film he did with Pacino? Uh, Insomnia. Insomnia, yeah. He's and Final Cut as well. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, there's very similar characters where he is this introvert, funny, non funny person. And because he was in an environment that it was a closed off environment that he was allowed to just do that, if, if they ever made films with kind of like audiences ever he mm. would never be able to do that then he would all constantly be kind of like on that switch yeah like he was pushing that button to say funny guy F- funny guy come on no funny guy and and it's because yeah. he could do it within film though he, it was yeah. it was he it, i suppose that was his outlet yeah. because all his, of a sudden you've got a a, a, a globe of people just saying oh my god that performance robin williams gave it's so not his character yeah. How do they fucking know? That could be his character. Exactly, that could just be him through and through, and they just don't realise because yeah. they've seen him so much doing the jackass. But then, when he's yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, and then when he's talking, when he's being interviewed about insomnia, he's back on Robin Williams comedy mode. Yeah, I can't Weird, believe we got this yeah. character. You, you got this performance out of here, and then he'll just be spitballing. I know that's me, ah, but that's that's it. His performance is 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 our sense of his reality. Yeah, is it? You know, and that's and, and maybe him being himself is just doing those films and, yeah, yeah. I remember him being interviewed by Clive Anderson Robin Williams and yeah. I was Clive Anderson was a smart guy he could, yeah, he, yeah. I remember him interviewing Eddie Izzard and Eddie was trying to be funny with him and he was I think possibly more intelligent than Eddie so he was like second guessing him and Eddie didn't like it he could not keep up with Robin Williams he just couldn't keep up with him who could yeah and he actually mentioned so he said what kind of comedians do you like to Robin Williams and he said oh well I actually like Eddie Azard. I think he you know he's oh, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a surreal comedy and then Clive Anderson was like oh well isn't your wife producing the plays in it at the minute and he's like oh yeah that guy at the you're like the guy at the party aren't you when the magician's doing his thing saying I've just seen the rabbit there's a rabbit there you spoil it and you just couldn't keep holding it jump, it'll jump on him yeah yeah. whereas people would say oh damn it you got me yeah he just Robin, nobody would ever go, go, Robin Williams would never ever give up 
mm. you never say oh damn it you got me yeah. I mean, you know even and if Clive you... Anderson submitted to him he's just yeah. like alright I just can't I can't keep up he's like a he goes I'm like a fart in a wind tunnel aren't I kind of thing and it was always a joy to yeah. watch and um, yeah yeah I miss him exactly I, yeah. you, you just always look forward to something Robin Williams was going to do and to know that mm. he's never going to do anything ever again is hard it's, it hurts it hurts it, it hurts. really does and we, we started this podcast um, in November mm. and we kind of missed out on the whole Robin Williams thing yeah we haven't even reviewed any any of his stuff yet really I mean maybe we, maybe we were just we're still finding that a little bit too hard to, to get into but one day I'd like to hope that we can because I, I it's like with the Leonard Nimoy um, tribute you know that's that's still hard but at the same time it's different it's very different you know? I didn't have such a personal relationship with Leonard Nimoy as I felt I did with Robin Williams yeah I had a I had the um, I think the the emotional outburst I had with Leonard was more the fact that he had just gone that he just slipped away and that was that was kind of like there was an essence that was missing but what got me was everybody else's reactions going onto the Star Trek game and seeing all those and realizing that everybody who plays a game has stopped playing the game yeah. to go and stand uh, on a on a on a digital facade of Vulcan, yeah, and 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 everybody else's reactions out there in the in the ether, everybody was kind of really responding. But with Robin Williams, it's just nobody's responding. Everybody's just what's with what, Lennon Nimoy? There's a sort of feeling that he will live on yeah there's something about him that because comedians have to stay relevant and keep giving out content where what Leonard did will live forever because of what he's done I'm watching a series at the minute called Fortitude yes and it's brilliant it's amazing right I'm really into it it's subversive it's scary in parts and so I'm on to episode 9 right it's as if this is my sort of I'll try and make a little comparison here I've watched episode 9 tonight say and by the end of the episode, they've killed off every character, and that's it. It was the last one, and you'll never see it again. And I'll be like, "Whoa, oh, I was enjoying that. I was watching that, and yeah. that's it. It's over. That's it. Yeah. I'm never going to see it again." That's how I feel with Robin Williams going. Yeah, I was enjoying him. I loved everything he did, and then no more. Yeah, the the thing is with Leonard Nimoy, he's kind of like. He'd finished throwing Star Trek back in 1991, even though he'd just done little bits after. He'd finished... Every, he was kind of... He started things and he finished them. Started things and finished them. And there were different projects. Photography, film, commercials. He was just dibble, dibbing and dabbing towards mm. the end of his life. Whether that for the last 20 years, he was just... It was just doing little things. You knew he was there. You were happy that he was just still going. Yeah. But with Robin Williams, he was still relevant. He was still present. He was coming back. He was still making the movies... He was still making appearances everywhere. He was more available to us when, on demand, he was like, don't worry, guys, I'm not going anywhere. Something new is coming out soon. And we would wait. And we were like, there's Robin Williams again. Okay, I'm back. And I think that that loss was so... He killed himself. He dro- he just yeah he just dropped off the face of the earth and he, that was it. That's you know Leonard had a medical condition and he died. Yeah. Bill Hicks had a medical condition and unfortunately he died too young. George yeah. Carlin I think you know he, he had a 
I think he was just yeah just got unlucky yeah yeah but I mean he killed himself that dude was... that's that's the hard part and I think we don't want to go was... we don't want to go too far no but he was into... hurting yeah. and you know I think we've covered it yeah correctly but... but he was hurting and he was never really from what I perceive from what I've seen he would never had the outlet to say I'm struggling guys yeah. Help. I mean, he did speak to Billy Connolly just before he died, and he spoke to um, Billy Crystal as well. Billy Crystal was in France, in Paris. He was mm. nowhere near him when he died. He got the news way over there, and uh, and it was almost as if the the failsafes that had been there before just weren't there. There, yeah. there was a kind of a sense that maybe he there was an outreach, but the, I, I think it was just one of those cases where sometimes where all the failsafes are gone, that's it. Yeah, there's nothing you can do. So Richard Pryor. <laughs> let's talk about... Let's talk you funny okay, about man? comedy. Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah. Just, just, just and we, we, we had to touch up in, you know, something. You know, That's uh, it. Before we tough. go on to Pryor, Dennis Leary. What oh, do you yeah. think of that guy? Yeah, he's... Because he basically <laughs> just ripped off Bill, Bill Hicks's career, didn't he? Um... He's, he's different. He, I don't see him as a comedian... Uh, I see him as a, as a. He started off as a stand-up. He started off as doing stand-up, and he because the routine that Bill Hicks did about that jogger who wrote books about jogging, and um, he went on TV talking about jogging. He was obsessed with jogging and had a heart attack while jogging. And yeah. I think Dennis Le- Bill Hicks had a routine about it, and Dennis Leary pretty much said the exact same thing in the same sort of way: the angry, quick, and yeah. you know, the angry comedian thing. And I know Bill Hicks just. They were friends, but he couldn't handle it. He just didn't want to have anything to do with them because of it. I think. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, it's, get that. I understand that. I can, yeah. I totally. I don't. I, that's why I don't think of uh, Dennis Leary is in a different league. He's in a different place. Not league, but place. Mm. He's not. He's not there as a truth sayer. I don't think that he's a person who wants to 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 tell people, you know, how things are. I think he's just merely just trying to figure out. I think he's is built more on ego. Yeah. Then it's more about him than it is about the things that he says. Mm. And I don't think he's that that interesting a person oh, for okay. me in in terms of. I mean, he, he's he's more of a he's more of a businessman about it. Right. And I don't think that he's as as sharp and as raw as as, as you know a lot of people make out. Maybe. Well, a lot of stuff Hicks said a lot of the time was not funny. No, not all, no, not all his stuff worked. No, and there was times where if the audience weren't coming with him, he'd just be shouting at the audience. Yeah, well, well, angry, well he's, he's terrible with hecklers. <laughs> yeah. um, to be honest, I, I think when, when as soon as there was a heckler, there was like an awkward moment, and you're thinking, "There's no way they can come back from this." Well, he just Marin, needs to go away and leave it. Man. Marin tells a good, a great story about him, where um, Marin wanted to go on first. And then Hicks are going after him because he wants to do things. Hicks like, no, I'm going on first. I, I don't want to. So he's like, all right, all right, fine, you go. So Hicks goes on stage and Marin goes into the toilet. He's in there for a few minutes. He says he has no idea what happened in those few minutes. Yeah. Because when he comes out, he's just screaming at some woman in the audience saying, I'm a fucking pro. No, I'm a fucking poet. I mean, that's Hicks. <laughs> that's it, guy. yeah. It's, it's like... It's like being uh, having your, uh, your crazed uncle who has uh, has bipolar. 
around <laughs> to the family you go to the bathroom and you realize you come back and there's something's really going wrong with Uncle Bill again yeah. <laughs> like, Uncle you know, Bill's doing it he's done again oh now somebody get, better make a phone call let's get his sponsor but um, Bill could go dark yeah and I think that, that he really... had that yeah like Kinnison Sam Kinnison who was yeah. also a because he was a preacher he was a um, um, friend of Mark Maron and friend of quite of the, the the few of the of the uh, the eighties pack. Mm. Um, he was a screamer. His his shtick, his thing was everything. Everything leads to the screen, the primal screen, and uh, yeah. you know marriage. You know what marriage is? Yeah, I buy it every time. Every single time I buy it, love comes into my life and goes, "Come on, <laughs> yes, no, this is love, not like the others. This is real love." I wouldn't lie to you nine times in a row, you ass! Open the door! <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> it lied to me again! Sam did. She took it all! I was married for two years! I don't need someone but a primal scream! Ah! Ah! Wow, fucking hell, mate. <laughs> did you get that? <laughs> I hope I didn't kill the name. Oh, we're gonna have the police around, aren't we? Okay, yeah. <laughs> was that was that too much? It was a bit loud. It was okay. It's like, but my point. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I'm actually really. I, 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 do you know what? I actually feel better now. Do you? Yeah. Sam Kinsey. It just reminded me of the poster of Totality's Lady. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel so. Do you know what? I actually needed that. <laughs> but yeah, Sam Kinsey's about that. But he was about the fact that. Preaching is a source of screaming and singing and all that. It's like, you know, you realize that all of this is just about having this release yeah. and uh, everything that you have in life, all these frustrations, everything that, that you know, he basically talked about everything so from marriage to having children to, to things that just, you don't you realize that your life is literally just one big screen? Yeah. And I think that that's why I enjoyed his routine. Yeah. It wasn't long lived. I mean, he he died in a, in a tragic car accident that you know was held by I can't remember who it was, but uh, he gave a very emotional interview with Mark Maron about holding him and him seeing you know angels as he as he drifted away into his into death. And uh, you know he was <laughs> that's going dark, um, yeah. but he was just. But, the thing is, he was just that. He kind of just built himself around that whole act. Yeah. Kind of like Gallagher smashing watermelons. All right, we got Gallagher. We're going to start with the watermelon. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> On stage. No, there was nothing more to it. It's, you know, this, that. But uh, I, I still find that, that perspective fascinating. Yeah, and I, I like when comics go dark. I like I like it when they push it, and you're thinking, "Whoa, whoa!" Like yeah. like Hicks doing these go boy routine. Yeah, have you heard okay. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course you have. And uh, you know, oh, you're 16, and all that stuff. And you're like, oh no! And he, he gives a great routine when he'd been dumped by his girlfriend, <laughs> and um, he's saying that like. It, one day he, he he should be having sex with a he he doesn't feel bitter anymore because he knows that one day he'll be should be having sex and he's this big fat thing on top of him shooting his cholesterol ridden semen into her 
and he'll have a heart attack and all this black bile will come out of his mouth and it'll be spewing in her face and she'll be choking and it'll be awful and then she'll look over to the TV and I'll be on it (laughs) (laughs) and it's all like wow man that's love it love it yeah and that that's kind of that, that, that's from the heart well it is because <laughs> it really it means that shit you know exactly and, we, and the, the thing is we all think it sometime in our life we think about our, our past hurts and we think oh, oh, I, would, I would love one day to me be on TV and all the people that fuck me over look at it and think oh because I know it'd hurt them, and it'd make me feel bad to know they've hurt yeah. them because they've hurt me. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's have a natural no idea. compulsion, I mean, but to have them, to be able to just have the opportunity to do it on stage. Oh, yeah, to actually say, to them, "This is what I, this is what I would do." Yeah, it's probably not going to happen this way, but do you know what? I want to let you all have that image in your head so that I feel as though it has happened. Well, his girlfriend... It feels like it happened. Yeah, his girlfriend will probably listen to that. And she'll, she'll and visualize she'll, it. She'll know it's about Everybody her. will visualize it. I mean, that's a strong visualization. That's the whole point. That's the point of that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's allowing things uh, things that aren't ever going to happen and aren't real to just be. And that's the thing with exist. He was a dark poet. That's yeah. what he was. He was Great. a dark poet. It's not, and poetry is not about rhyming. It's just about... No? And Jaws isn't about a shark. So what about Pryor? Yeah, what about Richard Pryor then? I love Richard Pryor. Pryor, I yeah. Sometimes it's difficult with Pryor because I, I kind of ha- you have to pay attention. You have to ca- you have to you, you you're literally chasing a cannonball. Thank you, thank you. I'm sorry we didn't have any drinks to give you, but we have lovely tablecloths. If you have some mustard, you could eat the tablecloth. Uh, I'm doing a stand-up on the show because the people uh, NBC said, well, America don't know who you are. And you come out and they're scared. They just see black people and they get nervous if they don't know who they are. So you should come out and introduce yourself. I was born. <laughs> then they feel safe. Oh, it's all right, Marge. You can watch him. He was born. It's wonderful. And um, I feel like a kid. I love children because they talk so straight. And you ask them questions, they never answer you straight, right? They go, what happened? I'll win, win, first, first in, first, first in when we went in, Jimmy, then, then he had, then he pulled the thing, and, and, and I didn't do it. Kids and hillbillies are my favorite people, because hillbillies are like children too. You know, they, they don't know what they're talking about either, you know. You ever get lost in the South and ask the hillbilly directions? They tell you the history of the world, but they never tell you where you want to go. Say, how do you get down? Well, I'll tell you what you do, boy. You take Junction 35 and you drive down about 14 miles. You make a left turn up there by the big hog sign. Well, Jed Wells built that hog sign up there back in 1927. And it has a big snout coming out of it, because I remember an old boy had a semi, I was driving down through there, and a jackknife on him just flipped over the road. Cans and everything laid all around. What'd you ask me? Well, there's a, a DVD, I think it's in San Francisco. It's the famous one. He just come on after a band, and he—it's. I think it's about an hour. I think it's just an hour of perfect comedy. It's hilarious. It's um, heartfelt. Um, it's, it's personal. You know, he's talking about like he, his, his wife chucked him out of the house or something, and so you know, he's, 
So he's shooting the car tires. Then the police came. <laughs> I went in the house. Because they got magnums too. And they don't kill cars. They kill niggas. Awesome. You're right. You're and all this stuff about talking about having a heart attack. And yeah, he's, he was a bit, it's brilliant, fascinating stand-up routine he's just brilliant you know I mean? and he unlike Robin Williams had a very different uh, access to film um, yeah, he, yeah. He, it didn't quite work out the same way for Richard Pryor I don't it think it didn't and some things were okay was it Bruce's Millions was he in that possibly yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly he's ill-fated Superman it was number three and it was all about him and it was yeah. hilarious stuff if it was just about him without the Superman, I would have. It, it was an enjoyable film, yeah. Because you're not watching Superman; you're watching him getting money out of an ATM. It's just free money, and that's the that's the scene that I always go to. Yeah, absolutely. When yeah. he's hacking into the computers, and I, I love that. That's a great character, and they should have played on that. Yeah, but Pryor <laughs> turned up in Lost Highway, didn't he? Richard Pryor was in Lost. Whoa, hang on. Yeah, Richard Pryor was in Lost Highway. He was ill at that point, but he was. Um... I think because of the kid in it who's the mechanic. I think he was the person who run the garage, the mechanics. The hell's wrong with me? What the hell? Do you know what? Lost High... Dave, some of David Lynch's stuff is like a dream. Okay? And yes. You, when, you wait, <laughs> when you finish watching it, do you remember all the colours and the, and the shifting and the feelings and, and, and this and the, the weird stuff? But you never remember everything. There's, yeah. there's like there's stuff happening behind you in his movies and it's like I've got to watch it again now I'm going to have to go and see that yeah I think it was, it. it was Paulie when he did it but yeah he, yeah, he was in it gutted but I was thinking prior he, when he was on his game yeah and it was funny because he could talk about the race divide yeah but still white and black people obviously black people and white people will go to his shows yeah it yeah, brought yeah. everybody even though he was like he has this great bit. He says he thinks it's hilarious when pipe, white people go back to the seats to find out a black person's stuck in the seat. And he, he always had this great voice, this, this cliche white man voice. But he's like, uh, excuse me, I think you were setting my seat and we ain't saying this cheat no more, motherfucker, kind of thing. And I just thought it was, I just thought it was amazing. I really did. And obviously, you could talk about prior leads on to Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Because Murphy... Well, I think he was a decent standoff. I think he was, you know. Yeah, I mean, but I, I think he did what he wanted to do with that. Some of it is so dated and of its time. Yeah. Because he did Raw and what was his other one? Um, it begins with D. Delirious. No. Delirious. Is it, it Delirious? Yeah, yeah. Delirious. Yeah. And he... one of them where he wears a red suit. That's Delirious. Yeah, I think so. And Raw. And Raw was black, wasn't it? I'm not sure. I know because his ego was massive. You know, the That's beginning a, of it was he arriving on his personalised plane and all that. Yeah, kind of exactly. Yes. And he did a lot of stuff about AIDS, being about gay people, and it was some yeah. of his time and ignorant. But when it was great, it was um, it was so funny. For some reason, when I think of Eddie Murphy's stand-up, I just think about the costumes. <laughs> because there are so few of his stand-ups. He was very, very rubber, and, and, and people get angry on YouTube. Um, especially anybody who's not of the generation of the Eddie Murphy uh, stand-up how dare you uh, comment on his costume about what he's wearing it's perfect for the time it was what he wanted to wear at the time it was amazing at the time it was of the moment got to be careful you got to have a J-O-B in the 80s you got to have some money got to have some money you can't get no pussy listen to the radio that's what it's about 
Listen to Madonna. I'm a material girl and a material world. You ain't got no money. You can't have no pussy. <laughs> Basically what it is. There's a song out now called Got to Have a J-O-B if you want to be with me. And the lyrics go, ain't nothing going on but the rent. Like if you went up and said, hey, babe, what's going on? The rent, motherfucker. <laughs> you have a job? Well, I, 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 get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> got to have some money. It says, no romance without finance. And women love them songs. They go, got to have a day <laughs> Janet Jackson got a hit record. What have you done for me lately? That's what they be thinking. What have you done for me lately? The records start off like that. I know he used to do shit for you, but what has he done for you lately? <laughs> Baby, I love you. What have you done for me lately? You the only thing on my mind. What have you done for me lately? We make good love. What have you done for me lately? Well, what have you done for me lately? Let's spawn that. I love that. that. That was great. I mean, that's the, 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 but the thing is, I think with Eddie Murphy, he realized that, yeah, I've done that. Yeah. I'm not a truth sayer. I'm not somebody who needs to now carry on and keep telling the people what they need to know. He's he's done that and he's moved on. Well, he talks about how when he was starting out, all he wanted to be was Richard Pryor. Yeah. So he'd do routines like Richard Pryor, but all he could talk about was having a shit because that's all he'd done because he was a kid. <laughs> so his parents have stood around and he's doing this. You don't remember when you're having a shit and that shit coming out and it goes back up? Why your shit be teasing your ass? You know, and it's really funny. And um, what was these other stuff? What was that? Um, he's James Brown. I think the chair squeaked. Yeah, sorry. Have you heard his James Brown routine? Where no, he's going, oh, it's, it's so good. He said he doesn't know how the band understand what he's doing because you, you can't understand what he's saying. So he'll be like, so he's going to his band like, who's that? You know, give me some. Yeah. 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 Kind of thing. I'll stick it on. And it's so good. It's really funny. And um, yeah. Pity he's not it. funny anymore. No, but he's, oh, Eddie, Eddie. I mean, again, with, with like with Dennis Leary, I kind of feel as though that his, the, the comedy was there. And then he wanted to leave that because he wanted to do different things. Not bigger, not bigger in capacity, but... but um, I think, yeah, he wanted to more be a appeal. superstar. He wanted to be a, yeah. And I think he had his moments. I mean, the, Bowfinger was, was incredible. I was loved him in Bowfinger. Yeah. I think that's the only movie where he plays two people that I care to talk about ever. Yeah. Uh, any yeah. other one, Norbit, and all the rest. I don't yeah, know, Coming to America was really was good. Great. That was good. Sexual chocolate. Yeah, and I love his <laughs> forty. Plays the Jewish guy as well, you know. But it's basically everything in the eighties. You know, Coming to America, Forty Eight Hours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Beverly Hills Cop movies, apart from the third one, which was a big fat third, and maybe he, you know, but it, it's, it's you know, it's one of those things where he was of the time. He his he was perfect for the eighties. Yeah. He took off where Richard Pryor left. Yeah, yeah, he did, yeah. And I think that that's... He filled was, the hole, so to speak. Yes, he, he and then Chris up. Rock has sort of taken his thing. And... He has, and I, I think Chris Rock is one of those people who is always misunderstood in the media. Who's more racist, black people or white people? Black people. You know why? Because we hate black people, too. <laughs> Everything white people don't like about black people, black people really don't like about black people. There's some shit going on with black people right now. It's like a civil war going on with black people. And there's two sides. It's black people and there's niggas. <laughs> and niggas have got to go. 
And but, you know, it was brave stuff, and uh, you know, a primarily black crowd listening to it. Uh, people can need to kind of just forget the two-dimensional vision. Yeah, of yeah. Well, you're saying that yeah. you know, trying to people like them for doing stuff that you should do anyway. We're saying, you know, I'm a good man. I look after my kids. You're supposed to look after your kids. Don't you don't want don't justify don't that. justify yeah. it. You're supposed to. And it was a a great <laughs> juxtaposition, really. And uh, yeah, I think he's a brave brave performer. I think he's a good man. He's a good guy. Yeah. And that, that, that yeah, I again, he's done movies as well. And uh, that, then you've got Chris Tucker, who kind of like tried to steal. Mm. His his life. <laughs> I don't know what about I don't know what it is about that guy, but he he gets on my nerves a little bit. But Chris Tucker was in Silver Linings Playbook, and, and he's really, really good. good in that. Oh God! You know what? Again, somebody's and just... De Niro's really good in that. Got... Everyone's really good in that film. Yeah, that's another film that I have not seen. That's a we should do yeah. one for some. Just on that think, one. Is it David O. Russell who does those films? I think it is. Okay. David O. Russell films. Yeah, yeah. Like a Cameron thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. he did. Uh, oh, let me talk about it here. But oh, I talk business. You did the beautiful thing. Yeah, um, but yeah, I want I want to see more of Chris Rock. Um, not, I mean, I, I'd like to to see other sides of him. I think mm. I'd like to. I, I know that he can do other things. I'm just I'm just waiting for him to do it. And I don't, I don't know what it is, but I'm waiting for him to do something. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Other comedians. Louis C.K. Louis C.K. You got your list there. Yeah. Now he is. He's a. I, he he's a. He's a man's man. He's a great, great comedian. Yeah. He, yeah. He's a great storyteller. Yeah, I think he's more of the subversive Seinfeld. Yeah. He's yeah. very. You know, he's very much about the family. Talking about the the, the family, the home, the, the the domestic experience, and and how it winds him up. I love that. <laughs> yeah. It's. Uh, and he's a really good actor as well. He is, yeah. Yeah. And he's a good producer, and he, he's he's a he's he's got the business sense. He's got the common. He's got the Seinfeld yeah. sense. I think and that's kind of why I compare the two because they're both on television. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. Sense. Kind of. Yeah. With Marin, you don't think of him that way, do you? Think him primarily as a comic, not an actor. No, I I always think of him as a as a radio DJ. Oh, do you? Of, you know, they America. I I kind of think that the the comedy was. Um, something that he just needed to do. Desperate, it was. A, I it think. Was, no, I think he's a comic first and foremost. WTF think, is just something he's, he did, and he's brilliant. I at. think he's he grew into that. I don't think he was a comic. For, I don't think she. He had it straight away. I think mm. he had. He had to get him through himself first. There was a lot of lot of transcending in his well yeah he was a very angry comic and now he's not as angry now now he's brilliant because he's understood how to use his comedy effectively Mm. and how how to kind of channel it well that's why i think him and um stuart lee click so well and why you know marin talks so highly highly of stuart lee because they both have honed their craft and are better now than they've ever been you know, and they both had that lull. <clears throat> they both had that thing where they go away and say, "Well, okay, well that happened. Let's yeah. let's just try and figure out, you know, what to do now, mm. and then come back." I mean, it, in a way, Mark Maron's had a lucky comeback. Um, when, but it, but the thing, the difference is, is that Mark Maron's taken charge of it himself and said, "Okay, fuck it, I'm gonna go and hide in my garage." That was the start of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I can't use the studios over there anymore. They won't let me in, so I'm gonna go and do this in my garage. That's why these, That's yeah, people. Uh, this is why I like these guys who 
there's nothing else they can do. This, this is, is what it. they do. Yeah. But because, he, you know, I know now he's acting and he sort of, he, I think he more fell into that where people, yeah. producers may have seen, think, oh, maybe we can make a bit, we can work on this. But even Marin, his TV series is basically just his life. It works. And he can't because, do anything else. That's it. That's yeah. what he can do. Lee Evans, Lee Evans, Stuart Lee can't <laughs> do anything else. No, exactly. That's You're all right. he can yeah. do. Yeah. Bill Hicks couldn't have done anything else. No. He no. probably, quite possibly could have been a writer, but just to be this, he, he wouldn't like to be hidden away. Yeah. He, he like, needs to be, he'd be the one who basically, yeah. forget, I want to tell a story. Yeah. George Carlin couldn't have been anything else. He was a prolific writer, but he could not, he, that was yeah. him. Yeah, exactly. We're onto something. Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically, you know, it, it's that creative thing inside of you that, that mm. you, you, get, you, you remove it, you die. You, you get people like it. Larry David. Yeah. And he, he was a good stand-up. One thing about uh, Hitler that I admire is that he wouldn't take any shit from magicians. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, Hitler was a big, big fan of magic, and uh, Hitler would go to a uh, he'd go to a magic club, <clears throat> and he'd watch the show, and uh, afterwards he'd go he'd go backstage to talk to the magician. Because it was a wonderful show, uh, and I was just uh, wondering, I was talking to my friend, where's the rabbit? <laughs> I'm sorry, my Fuhrer. Uh, I'm really glad you enjoyed it, but we're really not allowed to, to tell about the secrets. You know, they're, they're tricks. We're not yes, yes, I understand you're not allowed to tell, but just tell me, where's the rabbit? <laughs> My Fury, it's a really, it's a union thing. We just, where is the rabbit? You will tell me where the rabbit is now. Yeah, well, he was meant for something else to be a writer yeah. and to be a, an actor. Yeah, you know what I mean. He's he's an all rounder. He's he is. He's, he's a brilliant, very, brilliant guy. He's also stage. He does he does off Broadway as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, but he's so modest. About, but that's a part of his act, and is it real? I mean, Larry David is one of those well, people who you, he's a hard nut to crack. I don't think he's been on WTF yet, has he? I'm not sure, to be honest. I know he's but been in. He, yeah, um, Marin interviewed um, the guy who plays his. Um, I forget his name now, but he played Jeff Garland. Jeff Garland, and he basically said that that's Larry David. Yeah. Like that stuff just happens to him. That's just him. Where yeah. he goes, things happen, and he doesn't mean for it to happen. And he gets himself in predicaments all the time. He just has the gift to be able to think. Well, that happened. I'll write about that and yeah. have the medium to put it onto but TV. But I think, in a way, that's probably that. Like you say, that's that's his thing. That he can't do anything else but be like that. Yeah. It's like I I can't be at, I can't go to work and be quiet. Yeah. I have to go around and and and. I'm making jokes all the time, man. I'm just... I, I cannot stop. I'm literally just... I, I have to say things about people and to, to, to make them laugh. I mean, yeah. I've, got this, I've got this new guy at work and I'm, I'm telling him, so I don't want you to stand too close to me because I really think that your beard is offensive. Uh, it's yeah. too... You know, I, I, that's why I've shaven because I just I just don't want to be associated with you. And, you know, you've got earrings in. What's going on? You know, when did break up? And I, I ripped the piss out of him and he's laughing and he loves it yeah yeah and I, I I love that I gravitate towards that because I know that I can do I can I can I can play play all day yeah well like I said you always get you it was the same when I used to work at that cinema where we weren't Ooh. allowed to talk to each other and all that kind yeah. of stuff 
and um, I'm the same as you. We had there was like quite a lot of Asian guys work there, and I loved them all to bits. Got along with them, and there was one shift we were on um, a close, and it was about eleven o'clock at night, and there was just like I think it was like there was three of the Asian guys and me, and I was like, if this was a Bollywood film, would I be the first person to die? <laughs> See, that's funny. You know what I mean? I love and, that. Um, yeah. yeah, and I was getting in trouble all the time. For but yeah, but they get pulled up for saying that, you know, because, you know, it's like, you can't say that. It's like, but, but I think one American comedian, oh, though, yeah. that everyone respects and has turned out to be a bit of a prick, Bill Cosby. Everyone cites him as being a really good stand-up, being a, clearly wasn't wasn't a nice guy. He's a bit of a 911. He's a bit of a 911, sorry. <laughs> 911 call, He's a bit of a... doing it again. <laughs> From the police. It's like everybody has their own conspiracy. They, they leech. Le- they. Le- well, he's the American. Ah. He's the American Jimmy Savile. I just got possessed. Like, right, it's alright. Yeah, but he's the American Jimmy Savile because everyone seemed to know what kind of person he was, but just let him do it. I've heard I've, he was talking uh, Marin again, genius guy. He was talking to someone who was really into this. You know, who, when this story broke about Bill Cosby is essentially raping loads of young women and stuff. Um, that um, a young girl had been brought onto set and they were keeping her away from Bill because they knew what Bill was like. So they knew the stuff he was doing. Yeah. But he was talented and he was making lots money, of money yeah. and he was he's a powerful, powerful man. Yeah. So yeah. he somehow got away with it. But it's, it's, it's funny how all these things have... Sit, well, since the Savile thing and Rolf Harris, all of a sudden America's starting to do it as well. It's like this all of a sudden... People are standing up to these like a witch hunt. There's there's a there's a pretty. <laughs> it's a witch. There's a, yeah, there's a there's a pretty strong feeling of of wanting to hunt down these kind of people, mm. and they're popping out. That they're, yeah. they're oh, people are people are basically going up to them with this with this paint and doing that across them, saying, "Look, here's another one." Yeah, I was I was looking through mum and dad's my mum and dad's loft and mm. I came across a box with my old stuff and there's a TV guide in there and it was literally like a sex offenders register circa 1986 <laughs> all the people that were on TV in the 80s the and now show, yeah you know and it's, um, Jim will fix it um, Rolf's cartoon club yeah the Rolf Aru Oh, yeah, in that stand-up we're trying to write, I wrote a little bit about <laughs> Jim will fix it. Yeah? Yeah, because <laughs> my dad reminded me when I was a kid, um, I wrote to Jim will fix it because I wanted to be a Thundercat. So I sent in, like, <laughs> can, you, can you fix it for me to be a Thundercat? And I sent a picture of me holding the Lionel figurine and the gag is, is like, never wrote back. What was wrong with me? All those kids, all those kids, that sick bastard fucked, never come near me. What was wrong with me? I just had this image of him like collecting your picture and going. Well, that's part of it. I was going to pretend that someone in the audience said something. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Maybe he did one cough to my picture. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. We can hope. (laughs) Yeah, that that would at least at least that makes me feel like I'm wanted. Yeah, you know, it's like going the character of the person who's always. Uh, It's 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 a it's a damn dirty, filthy world out there, and unfortunately, power is a is a really stupid thing. And you got comedians who are crazy with power and you've got people who, who, who use their power correctly and, and it's, mm. it's just strange because I, I, I can't see people like Mark Maron losing his power and, and turning into into anything but who he is Yeah, and and you, you know who the right ones are because they're the ones that are saying exactly yeah well it's so powerful communion about Steve Martin Steve Martin yeah I 
he, you know, he he was like a rock star comedian, wasn't he? I mean, but he's he an amazing so... banjo player too. Yeah, I'm yeah, loved, yeah absolutely. I, I, I'm mesmerized by his his music as well. But very um, surreal stuff. Yeah, like, looks like early Woody Allen stand up was all very surreal, like yeah. him having a conversation with an elevator. You know. Yes, yes, but also the fact that you know he's he's this in that film where he's brought up by a black family. And he gets like, and there's like there's this moment where the parents have to sit down and tell him he's is not the jerk. He's not black. Yes, and that's great because he's crying. I'm not isn't black. It? I'm always gonna be this color. He's crying his eyes. Yes. Like, so subversive it's, and brilliant. Oh, I love it, and it's it's so ridiculously brilliant. Yeah, um, and the man with two brains. Yeah, these. I mean, when he was like, he um, doesn't have to do stand up. He just he's yeah, just he's comedy. got he's got the brain. He's like, say, and they're trying to find. Um, a body to put it in and he's saying like oh we could put yeah and he he's talking about how much he loves this girl and you know he, he can't live without her he goes well we can maybe put her in the body of a gorilla he goes no way I'm going to fuck a gorilla <laughs> it comes back to the he just wants to fuck her again you know it's just amazing yeah and Roxanne yeah how many gags does he do about having a big nose Ooh. I mean it's relentless and does no it... cutaway, just in just joke after joke after joke start with uh Obvious. Excuse me, is that your nose or did a bus park on your face? <laughs> Meteorological. Everybody take cover. She's going to blow. Fashionable. You know, you could de-emphasize your nose if you wore something larger, like Wyoming. <laughs> Personal. Well, here we are. Just the three of us. Punctual. All right, Delman, your nose was on time, but you were 15 minutes late. Envious. Oh, I wish I were you. Gosh, to be able to smell your own ear. Naughty. Uh, pardon me, sir. Some of the ladies have asked if you wouldn't mind putting that thing away. <laughs> Philosophical. You know, it's not the size of a nose that's important. It's what's in it that matters. <laughs> Humorous. Laugh and the world laughs with you. Sneeze and it's goodbye, Seattle. <laughs> Commercial. Hi, I'm Earl Shab and I can paint that nose for $39.95. <laughs> Polite. Uh, would you mind not bobbing your head? The uh, orchestra keeps changing tempo. <laughs> A lot. Everybody. He's got the whole world in his nose. Sympathetic. Oh, what happened? Did your parents lose a bet with God? <laughs> Complimentary. You must love the little birdies to give them this to perch on. <laughs> Scientific. Say, does that thing there influence the tides? <laughs> Obscure. Whew. I'd hate to see the grindstone. <laughs> well, think about it. <laughs> Inquiries. When you stop and smell the flowers, are they afraid? <laughs> French. Say, you see, if pigs have refused to find any more truffles until you leave. <laughs> Pornographic. Finally, a man who can satisfy two women at once. Is that all improvised? Could or, or did he actually have just a, a kind of a headspace of, of, of gags that he could just Well, maybe it was, it was scripted, yeah. I don't know. But, I mean, 
And he was a world all of his own, Steve Martin. Yeah, I don't think he never you, you never put him with anybody else. I no, mean, you can't. He you, worked with, with Eddie Murphy and Bowfinger, and that was okay. But most of the time, it's just you just need him on the poster. Well, yeah, because he sort of him. reinvented himself. He was this manic, crazy guy in the eighties and the nineties, become more of the underdog kind of character. Yeah, the thing that all the crap happens to is him, and then. And now he doesn't really do that many films. He's more of like a writer, isn't he? He does poetry and things like that. Uh, the Broadway, again. Broadway. And uh, I, th- I think everybody gravitates to to high art. I mean, that's where... I mean, there's, they're not being... I mean, the thing is, we're not being fed mass culturally. We're not getting a lot of art in our diet these days. And I think that, that they feed off that. Mm. And if they're not getting it, then they're craving it. And they're desperate to kind of create... I think that's that's kind of where, where a lot of these... Um, comedians who are now doing Broadway, you've got actors doing Broadway, people who you wouldn't expect doing off Broadway, and, and things that, you know, not that I can name a single one. Yeah, well, um, I know that um, Eddie Izzard did a stage show about Lenny, he was Lenny Bruce. Yeah. The stage show, and that was what Robin Williams' his wife was producing. Shit, yeah. And it got loads of rave reviews. Apparently, yeah. it was like really good. I've never seen it, so I can only God, I'd love to. I'd love to. Do you know, watching stuff from Lenny Bruce recently, I kind of just feel as though that there's he's a gap he's kind of like the, the magic the magic combination that everybody doesn't really understand is mm. you know because not a lot of people kind of reference him I suppose he's like you you said when we were talking it was before his time yeah before yeah, he oh, was yeah. way ahead he was yeah. he was basically doing what people are doing now that would be considered tame yeah um, I mean there's the six words that you can't say he, he he's he pretty much ooh, sorry he said that himself George Carlin just ran with it because he knew that he he needed to try it with his audience. He needed yeah. to try it for his generation. You know, how is it working for him and, and how is it working now? It, it, it's almost as if he just needed to know, does this sweater still fit? Yeah. Carlin's work on my favourite things, materialism, was always about religion. Yes. He was the one guy who could really just put it in a box. There it is. Yeah, but, with, look with, at it. but without actually being hostile about it. It was just matter of fact. It's just, you know... Yeah. Well, there's that brilliant routine where you're saying that religion's got you convinced as a guy who lives in the clouds. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man <laughs> living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day. And the Invisible Man has a special list of ten things he does not want you to do. And if you do any of these ten things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. But he loves you. No matter how powerful he is, he always needs that little bit more money. And it's um, oh, yeah. brilliant, really good. And it was important stuff for people yeah. to hear. He plays he plays on the emotional extremes. Yeah, and just him and yeah. Hicks. I would just I would just love to live in a world where they're still alive now and talking about events that have happened and things that are going on now. I would love to to yeah. Okay. You know I mean? Let's open this up. Sarah Silverman. Okay. What do you think of her as a as a modern day comedian? I comedian? Um, I like her actually. I think she's. Um, I've not seen a great deal of her material. I would like. I think 
when we talk about female comedians, I will yeah. research her. Um, my by not knowing too much about her and not really seeing that much material, she seems to me a person who tries to be um, not offensive but out there. Says testing things, testing things. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's kind of exactly what the, what the point that I think she's she's a person who is like, I wonder how how this works. Yeah, she's she's doing the Carlin thing as to you know I wonder what this looks like on people. Yeah, you know I want to know I want to know what people do and are. It's not about her. It's always about how do people react to these things. Mm. What is it about people? that this is so offensive you know what you know that's why she's constantly consistently going for the genitalia in her stuff as well yeah and people always kind of think oh she's so smutty she's always on about you know it's always about that that dick jokes and, and, and vaginas and and always always about that and periods um but it's not she's she's just kind of trying to figure out what what is really on the underneath mm. on this you know she's putting it out on the surface because she needs to figure it out yeah. and I think that's it it's another psychological ride for her and that's la- kind of how I get yeah it. and language is relative yeah. you know I, I, people getting offended by language yeah I don't get that no I don't you know cunt means buttocks in Dutch you know what I mean cunt yeah cunt <laughs> yeah. and cut is is vagina is, is an offensive word for her so every time you go to a hairstylist and you get and you, you get a good cut you're getting good vagina, so you know in every language. Hey, it's everywhere different. I go, I get good vagina. <laughs> exactly, it's like, but it's like Actually, you know, it's that's words. why I'm bald. I can't get no good vagina no more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought that was heartburn. That's okay. Actually, it is a weird thing. My wife cuts my own hair. My wife gives me vagina in two ways. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank god she never listens to anything I do <laughs> yeah thank goodness but yeah that's, that's the thing and it's like there there is blue stuff but, but there is still this locked locked inside us that you know when we're growing up as children you're not allowed to say this you're not allowed to say that you have rules and restrictions and all these these comedians that you can listen to with your headphones you can get lost in this world of 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 all this stuff and you know you can't tell your mum you know you, it's, it's kind of a fascinating yeah. exciting thing but then when you just strip it away they're just words when you strip it all away and you actually get rid of the magic and, and, and it's just boil it right down to its bare bones all you're talking about is the English language or whatever language it is you're yeah. speaking and it's just humanity it's just us and we all think about it we all have this it's society There's telling nothing you that you can't say these words. Yeah, these but, words are offensive, but, but you they're think just them, words. But you think them. It's just a ride. Just a ride. And you can get off it anytime you want. The world is like a ride at an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. And the ride goes up and down and round and round. It has thrills and chills, and it's very brightly colored, and it's very loud. And it's fun for a while. Some people have been on the ride for a long time, and they begin to question, is this real, or is this just a ride? And other people have remembered, and they come back to us, and they say, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride, and we kill those people. (laughs) Shut him up. We have a lot invested in this ride. Shut him up. Look at my furrows of worry. Look at my big bank account. 
and my family. This has to be real. It's just a ride. But we always kill those good guys who try and tell us that. You ever notice that? And let the demons run amok. But it doesn't matter because it's just a ride. And we can change it anytime we want. It's only a choice. No effort, no work, no job, no savings of money. A choice right now between fear and love. And as George Carlin said, yeah. And uh, (laughs) these are are words I live my life by. And it came from George Carlin. Is if there's one thing you can teach your kids, is to question everything. Yeah. Whatever you read, whatever the news says, whatever anything tells you, question it. 